88K News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Steve Dunthorne. Tonight's headlines. Three police officers are jailed over an attack on a man tied to a hospital bed. Health workers are warned to mind their social distancing after a doctor and two nurses contract COVID-19 at a birthday party. And dozens of people are arrested on suspicion of trying to defraud a scheme to help the travel industry. Three police officers have been jailed for up to 32 months over an attack on a man while he was tied to a hospital bed. Two of the officers physically and sexually assaulted a 62-year-old, while the third failed to stop the attack. Violet Wong reports. CCTV footage had captured police officers Ao Kwok Wai and Tang Man Him slapping their victim Cheng Chi Wa around the face, prodding him with batons and punching him in the genitals. At the time of the attack in June last year, Mr Chung was tied down to a bed in a psychiatric ward at North District Hospital. Mr Ao, who's 26, and Mr Tang, who's a year younger, pleaded guilty to misconduct in public office, while their 31-year-old colleague Lam Yek Singh, who decided not to stop the attack, was found guilty of the same charge. Mr Ao received 32 months behind bars, Mr Tang 31 months, and Mr Lam 17. District Court Judge Johnny Chan said he deducted one month from the sentence he was going to give Mr Tang because the officer had been doxxed by online trolls. On the night of the attack, the police had arrested Mr Chung for injuring an officer as well as a bystander while he was drunk in Shengshou. But the judge says such extrajudicial punishment has no place in Hong Kong and it cannot be condoned, especially when police are supposed to protect the public. He rejected the officers' claim that they were under immense pressure at the time, noting that Mr Chung's arrest had nothing to do with last year's social unrest. Former Democratic Party lawmaker Lam Chik-Ting, who's been helping the victim's family, says that they don't believe the punishments can compensate Mr Chung for the pain he's suffered. The victim is suffering the mental problem right now, a psychological problem. The sons of the victim said that the sentence could not help his father to overcome the damage of his father's uh, psychological uh, problem. And um, we urge the police force, especially the commissioner of the force, to publicly apologize for the wrongdoings of those evil uh, police officers and to compensate the victims reasonably. The police say one of the officers is suspended, a second has been fired and the third had quit the force. It says it will act on any illegal activity by officers. Health authorities have reported a cluster of coronavirus infections involving three public hospital staff who attended a birthday party. Wendy Wong has more. A doctor and two nurses, all from the same family and work at three different public hospitals, have tested positive for the virus. After a nurse at Kowloon Hospital tested positive, his brother, who is a doctor at Alice Homeo Ling Nethasol Hospital, and the sister-in-law, who is a nurse at Chonghua Hospital, have subsequently tested positive for the virus. They are believed to be infected at a birthday gathering attended by 10 people last Sunday. There is also a cluster of infections linked to a music studio in Sampo Kong after a teacher, five students and four of the close contacts came down with COVID-19 recently. The students are senior citizens who attended singing lessons at Billy Sir Classroom. Authorities have reported 70 new coronavirus cases. 64 infections are locally acquired, 25 via unknown sources. More than 70 people have tested preliminary positive for the virus. And the hospital authority reported two more coronavirus deaths. The two male patients were aged 84 and 85. 
Hong Kong has so far reported 128 deaths related to COVID-19. The police have arrested 62 people on suspicion of conspiring to cheat the government out of $2.8 million through a scheme meant to help the travel industry during the pandemic. Francis Set has details. The police alleged the directors of seven small travel agencies asked their relatives and friends to hand over their personal information so they could forge employment documents and boost the amount their agencies receive through government subsidies. The force said they began their investigations after the travel agent's registry reported several suspicious applications in September. Detective Chief Inspector Ho Siu Tong said it was unusual for the firms to have drastically increased their manpower at the height of the pandemic. He added that most of the suspects had never worked at the travel firms. The suspects, which include directors of the travel agencies, as well as the student, housewives and unemployed people, have been released on bail. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is exactly five minutes past 11. Police are searching for a COVID-19 patient who fled a hospital isolation ward. The 63-year-old man had been at Queen Elizabeth Hospital since being diagnosed on Monday. Staff said they saw him leaving at about 5 o'clock this evening, but could not catch him to stop him. Migrant domestic worker groups say the government should provide free and safe accommodation for helpers who are between jobs after poor conditions inside a typo boarding house was blamed for a recent coronavirus outbreak there. Wang Yinting reports. Representatives of migrant groups and their supporters are appealing for greater pandemic-related support from the government for foreign domestic helpers. A free COVID-19 testing scheme for helpers has been launched. But Shringerton, a spokeswoman of the Asian Migrants Coordinating Bodies Hong Kong and Macau branch, says that isn't enough because poor living conditions in dormitories could help the virus spread more easily. She says free and safe accommodation would help especially for those who are changing jobs or having their visa applications processed. Joanne Tong from the Mission for Migrant Workers urged the government to do more. Many of the policies left employers and workers in difficult situations. For example, it's compulsory quarantine for migrant domestic workers and also where governments rejected to provide free quarantine facilities for migrant domestic workers and also temporary shelter in between jobs. A spokeswoman for the Autonomous 8A Migrants Committee, Vivian Ng, says Hong Kong lags behind its neighbours in helping foreign domestic helpers. She says helpers should be entitled to the government's pandemic relief. In Hong Kong, even though our organisations here have been advocating including migrants in the financial supporting scheme, the government have no response at all. Ms. Ng says Japan and South Korea have offered financial support to those who have stayed in the country for a certain period of time. Foreign domestic workers were seen queuing outside government coronavirus testing centres at the start of that free scheme today. They must first make an appointment before attending any of the 19 community testing centres. The scheme runs until the end of January and was rolled out after the outbreak at the Typo boarding house for migrant workers. But some told RTHK they won't be taking the test. No, I will not take the test because I'm not going out. I always stay at home. If I will go out once in a week, I'm going to market, but I'm alone. And I avoid the crowded places. For my opinion, the swab test, uh, that one will be very painful. And somewhere I have a thyroid problem. And it goes to the 
to the throat, go straight to the throat, and it will touch to my thyroid. I don't go out when I take my holiday. I just stay home. And then I just feel like it's more dangerous for me because over there is so many people. And then I I take off my mask. For me, it's, it's more more not safe. The jury looking into the death of Chajilok has paid a virtual visit to the car park in Chengkwano, where the student was believed to have fallen during an anti-government protest in November last year. Jimmy Choi reports. It's the first time Hong Kong courts has used virtual reality technology during a hearing. At the coroner's court, Chang Yokki, a senior government chemist who helped the police investigation into the student's death, presented life-sized 3D images of the car park on a big projector screen. Coroner David Cole, the jurors, and Chao Tsi Lok's parents donned VR glasses and went on a virtual tour around the car park. They pay special attention to the spot on the third floor where the 22-year-old is believed to have fallen over a wall and down to the second floor. At the next hearing on December 28th, Mr Chen is expected to present a digital floor plan of the car park to show the movements of the student and others on the night in question. The floor plan was designed by Mr Chen and his team at a government laboratory based on CCTV footage from different surveillance cameras. A pro-government lawmaker has defended the camp's move to quit several LegCo panels after the mass resignation of the pandemocrats, saying it won't affect their work in monitoring the government. Since mid-November, the Welfare, IT and Economic Development Committees alone have each lost more than 10 legislators. Other panels have also seen a drop in membership. The Federation of Trade Unions, Alice Mack, has quit several committees, but says she just wants to make the best use of her time. Even if we are not a member of certain panels, we can still attend the meeting when necessary. So we can still raise questions. It will not deter us from focusing on our talking about issues of those panels. We have a division of labor among members of FTU. We hope that we can make well use of our time. It will not affect our quality of work. The mainland tech giant Alibaba says it's dismayed to learn its cloud computing unit has devised face recognition technology to identify members of the country's Muslim Uyghur minority. Vicky Wong reports. A report by the US-based surveillance research firm IPVM said software capable of identifying Uyghurs appeared in Alibaba's Cloud Shield content moderation service for websites. The researchers say that this would allow websites signed up for the software to flag videos made by Uyghurs for review or removal. Alibaba has since moved to distance itself from the feature, saying that it was dismayed to learn Alibaba Cloud had developed the feature. The tech giant said the technology was only used for capability testing and wasn't deployed to customers, adding it had eliminated any ethnic tag in its products. Alibaba said it does not and will not permit its technology to be used to target or identify specific ethnic groups. There is growing global criticism of China's policies in the northwest region of Xinjiang, with rights groups saying as many as one million Uyghurs and other mostly Muslim minorities have been held in internment camps there. Beijing has repeatedly denied forcing anyone into what it calls vocational training centres and has also said the region is under threat from Islamist militants. Turning overseas, the US Vice President Mike Pence has become the first senior figure in the Trump administration to receive a coronavirus vaccine. Speaking shortly afterwards at a news conference at the White House, 
He said America was still seeing heartbreaking losses from the pandemic, but it now had a vaccine that was safe and effective. We gather here today at the end of a historic week to affirm to the American people that hope is on the way. And Karen and I were more than happy to step forward before this week was out uh, to take the safe and effective coronavirus vaccine uh, that we have secured and produced for the American people. It's a truly inspiring day. Sony has stopped selling one of the most highly anticipated video games of all time on its PlayStation consoles just days after the title's release. Eight million orders for Cyberpunk 2077 were received prior to its launch. The BBC's Theo Leggett reports. Cyberpunk 2077 was launched amid a wave of hype in mid-December. The game, which immerses players in a dystopian world, was developed by the Polish firm CD Projekt. It rapidly started to attract complaints, particularly from users with older gaming consoles who said it was prone to technical glitches. One reviewer also complained that the game had triggered an epileptic seizure. Sony Interactive Entertainment says it has now been removed from the PlayStation Store until further notice, and customers who've already bought it will be refunded. To sport now, and it's time to look ahead to the weekend's Premier League football action with the BBC's John Bennett. So after scoring a late winner in the top-of-the-table clash with Tottenham earlier this week, Liverpool will have a trip to London to take on Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. Palace have failed to keep a clean sheet in any of their past 12 Premier League matches. So Liverpool's front three of Mane, Salah and Firmino will fancy their chances of leading the team to a ninth win of the season. Meanwhile, Tottenham are aiming to bounce back from their defeat at Anfield when they face Leicester City at home. Leicester lost to Everton on Wednesday, but they've been in tremendous form away from home this season, winning five of their six games. But Tottenham's loss against Liverpool was their first Premier League defeat in 12 games. Elsewhere, can Arsenal finally get back to winning ways? They have just 14 points from 13 Premier League games this season, their lowest tally at this stage of a top-flight campaign since 1974. This weekend, they have a very tough trip to inform Everton. Finally, there's a familiar name back in the English Premier League. Former Newcastle, Crystal Palace and Everton boss Sam Allardyce has been brought in by West Bromwich Albion to try to save them from relegation. His first game in charge is a local derby as they face Aston Villa at home. West Brom start the game in 19th. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Three police officers are jailed over an attack on a man tied to a hospital bed. Health workers are warned to mind their social distancing after a doctor and two nurses contract COVID-19 at a birthday party. And dozens of people are arrested on suspicion of trying to defraud a scheme to help the travel industry. The news from RTHK. RTHK Radio 3 it's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's NewsWrap programme. Developers will have six months to submit bids to develop a prime plot on the central harbour front, which would spearhead the transformation of the waterfront. The 4.76 hectare plot sits between City Hall, the central ferry piers and IFC, with developers required to provide a public open space, a landscaped deck, and a pedestrian connection to the core business area. The CEO of Designing Hong Kong, Paul Zimmerman, told Francis Sitt that the site can play a key role in rejuvenating Central. The development has several components, car parking, retail and commercial on top. 
And then there is a very large elevated public space as well as a ground level public space. Critical to all of this is that public space that is elevated and how that kind of completes the elevated network in central because the area around IFC Exchange Square and Site 3 is kind of Hong Kong's largest public transport interchange with roads, different MTR stations, the Airport Express, the Star Ferry, the other ferries to the outlying islands, several bus stations and minibus stations. So the question is, of course, can that deck really work where basically you're on top of the deck and you can easily navigate between all these different modes of transport and the underlying car parks as well. If we make that connection really well, then people are going to be on foot at the ground level south of Connor Road and elevated north of Connor Road. And then we have a very seamless integration of those two areas, while at the same time facilitating a very large transport and effective transport interchange, Hong Kong's largest. And we all have to watch out for how the various developers are going to propose to deal with that. Apart from all the linking with existing crossings and existing roads and elevated walking spaces to increase the walkability of the whole area, are you also concerned about how it can help improve the living environment or living quality of people in terms of whether there will be parks inside, etc.? Well, the elevated deck, the function of that in terms of recreation and enjoyment is very important. We also don't want to lose the ground level where there's a big park area requirement to make sure people can enjoy that. And, you know, you like to see that with lots of outdoor seating and abilities for people to wine and dine in and with a great view of the waterfront. And you want to be very extensive, not Mickey Mousing in terms of one or two restaurants. No, you're trying to have the entire site three space to be really, really functional in terms of people's enjoyment of the waterfront and that really special setting. This is the most significant space and development in terms of reinventing central. Size 3 is enormous, has a large car parking spaces. Ideally, people that come by car park north of Connaught Road and put their cars in Size 3 or in the other spaces and then use the foot deck to go to the south side of Connaught Road where they do everything on foot and will remove the traffic from the landmark area and the Queen's Road and Duval Road area. So Side 3 has to be an enabler for kind of this whole shift in Central so that we can reinvigorate Central as a whole, create a new Central. The Organisation of Islamic Cooperation bills itself as the collective voice of the Muslim world, working to safeguard and protect the interests of Muslims around the globe. So why is it silent on the plight of China's Uyghur minority? That's the criticism coming from a coalition of US Muslim groups that is calling on the OIC to do more. Robert McCaw of the Council on American-Islamic Relations spoke to the BBC's Rahul Tandon. Sadly, they are talking about the situation in China, just not in the right way. Last March, the Organization for Islamic Cooperation's Council for Foreign Ministers adopted a resolution that commended China's efforts uh, in providing care for its Muslim citizens. And again, that's shocking to Americans uh, and Muslim right groups and Uyghur activists because we believe that the OIC cannot collectively be the voice for the Muslim world when it's condemning these types of atrocities. Uh, These aren't re-education camps. 
They're not job training centers. They're concentration camps, places of untold suffering, torture, abuse, rape, and death for 1.6 to 3 million detained Uyghur Muslims and other Turkic minorities. The Chinese government have denied that these camps exist, though many human rights groups have said that, that that's clearly not the case at all. When we have Muslim countries not speaking out on this, do you think that that can reinforce the view among some that the Chinese may be telling the truth? I do not for a moment believe that the average citizen in Saudi Arabia, where the OIC is based, or in Egypt, actually believes that Uyghur Muslims are being treated well in China. This is just what the OIC and country heads in these countries are saying. It's very well documented. And CARE, my organization, believes that uh, China's anti-Muslim policies, acts of cultural erasure, destruction of 16,000 mosques, forced sterilization, abortion, uh, child separation, and system of concentration camps meet the hallmark definition of genocide. I, I don't think that the OIC turning a blind eye for economic reasons is fooling anyone. Let's be honest here, though. You've made these calls in the world that we live in with the pandemic. More and more countries are going to be even more reliant on China. We could actually hear or not hear more silence rather than countries actually speaking out. I believe the pandemic has been a distraction for this issue, for sure. But the OIC continuing to applaud China under these circumstances is akin to aiding Germany during the 1930s as the Nazi regime began to round up Jewish citizens prior to the start of the Holocaust. The OIC's actions have placed it on the wrong side of the history, and as this plays out, it will be more evident. I do believe that this campaign, this international campaign to hold accountability on the OIC on other Western nations is ramping up. And when you look at the United States, we have already started prohibiting certain products made by Uyghur slave labor from entering the United States. We're passing legislation. Uh, and so I think there is a way forward. And a final question to you. Islam is one of the five religions that, that people are allowed to practice in China. We've touched on the fact that the Chinese say these camps don't exist at all. What do you make of all of that? I think it's a state lie that it's propaganda that we've seen for years. China clamped down on the Uyghurs in Xinjiang, that they slowly started to prohibit practicing Islam from practicing Ramadan, and that they have gone through the process of now rounding up, detaining, and forcing Uyghurs into labor. Uh, it's been a slow and steady process, and no one really believes this lie. The Hong Kong Rugby Union says that the postponement of next year's seventh tournament has provided certainty and is to be taken as an early Christmas present. The Hong Kong Sevens, which is the highlight of the Global Sevens circuit and helped inspire the sport's inclusion in the Olympics, will now kick off on November the 5th next year. Organisers say the city's fourth wave of infections and similar problems around the world prompted them to shift the event from next April to November. The Rugby Union's chief executive, Robbie McRobbie, says the local rugby community has been supportive during a difficult period for the sport. It has been very tough for the union and it's been very tough for the entire rugby community. The Sevens revenue really underpins 
um, the more than 10,000 uh, players of all all ages um, in the community. So it, it, it has been difficult and we've been forced to make some very difficult decisions, redundancies, pay cuts. But we have been lucky. The, the, a couple of things really have made a difference for us. One, historically, we've had a number of um, Scottish Chartered Accountants on our board and, and they've been um, very, very frugal and they've made sure that, that we put money away for a rainy day. So when we went into COVID, we, we had money in the bank, which we've been able to, to draw on. So we've been extremely lucky with, with that. Uh, and also, um, both ourselves and our clubs have, have got some incredibly loyal and supportive sponsors and they've stuck with us over the last two years. Um, they haven't walked away, even when their own businesses, in, in many cases, have been going through tough times. So, you know, we're, we're incredibly grateful for that. Um, and we do have one eye, of course, on um, the, the government announcements over the last couple of days. And, and hopefully the, the sports sector will, will also be included in the government's latest round of pandemic assistance when we, when we get more details next week. Right, and uh, at the same time, I guess there must be some excitement to uh, having the Hong Kong Sevens now as the World Series season finale, and likely with uh, fans back in the stadium. Absolutely, yeah, we're, we're very much planning for this to be um, uh, an event with with fans. Uh, and as you say, we, we always we always said we wanted to be the last event on on the series. Um, this is not not necessarily the way in which we'd like to have ended up there, but. It's going to be very different and very special. Um, we'll have a new uh, men's and women uh, Olympic champions, to, you know, who will be, be playing. And um, yeah, we're, we're, we, we really are, as I say. It, for us, it's, it's an early Christmas present. We're, we're delighted to get some clarity, and, and we look forward to putting on uh, a fantastic 45th um, Canada Pacific HSBC sevens in November, and, and welcome the world back to Hong Kong. The Rugby Union's Chief Executive, Robbie McRobbie, speaking to RTHK's Atom Jung. During the COVID-19 pandemic, it has not been unusual for people to stock up on food or products to keep the virus at bay. But one NGO, Wofu Enterprises, is warning that such actions may lead to unhealthy hoarding. So, with the help of money raised through our Operation Santa Claus 2020 charity drive, Wofu Enterprises is launching Simple Living, a project designed to help educate the public about the problems of stockpiling and offer professional assistance to those suffering from hoarding disorder. Michael Ma, who is in charge of the project, told Janice Wong that contrary to popular belief, compulsive hoarding affects both young and old. Actually, back in 2017, Wofu collaborated with Open New Division of Nursing and Health Study and conducted a survey on holding behavior of Hong Kong people. The results showed that there were about 57% of interviewees having compulsive holding behaviors. This is a quite an alarming issue that we need to focus on. We may misunderstand that uh, the only elderly would show compulsive holding uh, behavior. However, our survey results indicate that the younger the age, the higher the chances they are distressing by holding. Although we do not have recent data to support, we believe the pandemic uh, may worsen the situation. And is this why you're launching a new program to tackle compulsive hoarding behavior? 
Yes, exactly. Our new program aims to address the issue. And the uh, Simply Living program will be funded by Operation Santa Claus. How will the money be spent? First of all, the program aims to raise public awareness of holding behavior through public education activities. We are going to reach over 900 public audience and provide simple tests for them to check if they are suffering from holding behavior. For people with minor condition, we will educate them with simple health, uh, self-help techniques. For example, categorizing clothes in need or no need, as, uh, so as to uh, declutter and donate unnecessary clothes. Secondly, uh, as a social enterprise, the program includes social service elements and arranged house tidying service for around I guess 10 to 20 households. Can you give me more details about how this program will actually uh, be, be carried out? Actually, it's better to leave uh, Orange, who is our partner, and also and a professional organizer to share more about the program. Maybe over to you, Orange. I'm Orange, a professional organizer and also a consultant from Wufu Social Enterprises. I would um, do the organizing uh, with uh, the volunteers and I will be um, given training to the volunteers. All right. And uh, how many volunteers do you need? The program is targeted to train up to 50 volunteers uh, for this project. For individual cases, I think we will work in a team of four or five, and um, including me and um, the beneficiary, um, because the beneficiary readiness for change and getting help and involvement will be the key of the success in the program. And that was Michael Ma, the chairman of the Simple Living Project at Wofu Enterprises, and Orange, a professional organiser for the project. If you want to know more or wish to make a donation to Operation Santa Claus, please visit our Radio 3 homepage or osc.scmp.com. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Amid the epidemic, thanks to all for being self-disciplined to protect yourselves and others. Thanks for keeping up personal and environmental hygiene and contributing to fighting the virus. We must take further steps. Keep track of your whereabouts. If you are sick, don't go to work or school. See the doctor and get tested promptly. We will prevail over the epidemic. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. Fight Fight the the virus. virus. Stay Stay vigilant. vigilant. Radio 3 Weather. A look at the weather forecast for tonight and tomorrow. Mainly cloudy, rather cool in the morning and at night. Minimum temperature should be around 13 degrees in town. And it'll be a couple of degrees lower over the new territories. Dry with sunny periods during the day. Maximum temperature we can expect will be around 18 degrees. And the winds will be moderate to fresh northerlies, occasionally strong offshore. The outlook cold mornings in the following couple of days with temperature difference between day and night being relatively large and still rather cool on Tuesday morning. Currently the air quality health index here in Hong Kong is low which means the air quality is good the readings are 2 and 3 at the observatory air temperature now 15 degrees Celsius relative humidity stands at 71% 
started for the second half of the show an iconic track from simon and garfunkel america i'm simon wilson sitting in for uncle ray the world's most durable dj is sheltering in place during the current covid spike taking a few weeks off and fingers crossed to be back